rushing wind and comes through and refreshes us and, and rejuvenates us. And I always think of that anytime we have a breeze like this that comes in. And so this morning it uh, reminds me of that. So we've been really blessed this morning already with that. I'd like to begin this morning uh, with a word of prayer. Uh, Brother Reggie, would you offer a word of prayer for us this morning? And we'll get a mic to you. I think we have a mic here somewhere. There we are. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, it is uh, with gratitude that we come to this, your house of worship this morning, Father. We have already been here, Father, and felt the presence of your Spirit. With the sharing of the prayers and testimonies, and now, Father, we come to this class with a desire, Father, to learn and to understand more about you and your Son and the work that we need to be about and reminded of uh, your son's statement of the need to be about our father's business. And Father, so I would ask that uh, the outpouring of your spirit, not only upon our brother Michael, but upon all those that are here in this class, but also with all the other teachers that are out there teaching the youth and their need for thy spirit and the need for the youth in your spirit. So, Father, we look forward to the things that will be shared this day that would not only bring honor and glory unto you, but edification to this body. This we pray in your Son's most holy name, even Jesus the Christ. Amen. Thank you. So, today uh, is our, our final day together in class, and we uh, have gone through this week talking about Section 4. Uh, on Monday, we... We looked at what the marvelous work was and the restoring of, of the gospel in its fullness, uh, the ordinances, the priesthood authority. Uh, we talked about the Book of Mormon coming forth to bear witness of, of the Christ. And we then moved into uh, talking about the different attributes. We talked about having the attributes of humility. We talked about yielding or patience. We talked about temperance. We talked about knowledge and diligence yesterday. And how all of those things we need to apply in our lives to be a part of the great and marvelous work and to embark in the service of God. And so our final day today that has been prepared for us by our, our camp pastor has been um, the last part of, of, of this, which is uh, what, quali what qualifies us for the work, to be qualified for the work. And, and there are several things in section four, so I want to go back to the original section here before we get into anything else today and make sure we read through it one more time. That we have it fresh in our minds this morning. Remember, this is given to Joseph Smith Sr. through Joseph Smith Jr. Now behold, a marvelous work is about to come forth among the children of men. Therefore, by the way, anytime you see a therefore, you always have to ask, why is that therefore? <laughs> therefore means there's a connection. Because of this, this happens. Therefore, O ye that embark in the service of God, see that ye serve him with all your heart, might, mind, and strength, that ye may stand blameless before God at the last day. That's the only way we can be blameless, is to serve him with all that we have and all that we are. Therefore, there it is again, if ye have desires to serve God, ye are called to the work. For behold, the field is wide already to harvest. So the calling is to all those who have a desire to serve with all that they have. 
If you have a desire, you're called to the work. Now, I want to emphasize here, we're going to talk about this a little bit today. There's a difference between being called and being chosen and being qualified. Okay? Lo, he that thrusteth in his sickle with his might, the same live, uh, layeth up in store that he perish not, but bringeth salvation to his soul. And faith, hope, charity, and love, with an eye single to the glory of God, qualifies him for the work. So there's the qualifications to be a, a part of the work. You may have a desires, and if you have a desire, you're called, but if you're going to be qualified, you must have faith, hope, charity, and love with an eye single to the glory of God. And then it goes on to say, remember faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, brotherly kindness, godliness, charity, humility, and diligence. We talked about diligence yesterday. Ask and ye shall receive, knock and it shall be opened unto you. Section four lays out and encapsulates in these short verses the importance of how we're called okay, and what the qualifications are if we're going to be a part of this marvelous work that's been restored. So I want to kind of break that down a little bit today as we look at this. The faith, hope, charity, love, and I single to the glory of God is, is the qualifications or qualifies us to be a part of the work. Um, I want to look as part of this to something that Paul shared with young Timothy. Because Paul's always giving advice, right, to Timothy about the work that they were a part of in his day, which is the same work we're a part of in our day, right? So let's look at, at what Paul said to sec, uh, in 2 Timothy to Timothy, who he was tutoring and bringing under his wings. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. And actually, I'm going to back up to start with verse 7 on this because I think this is important of what he was addressing. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear. There's a lot of fear out there. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partakers of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. This has been prepared before the foundation of the world, and it's not our works, it's his work. And this is something I think that we have to keep in mind. It's God that calls, right? It's his voice that calls us through his son and through his spirit. He is the one who calls because it's his work, it's his glory, it's his kingdom, it's his church, right? And we are just privileged enough, right, to be asked to be a part of that, called if we have a desire to serve. It's not our right, it's a call, Right To all members, if you have a desire, we're not talking just priesthood here, if you have a desire to serve, you're called to the work. But notice what he says here to Timothy. Timothy was called with a holy calling, but not according to our works, but according to his own purpose. Now, this is where we struggle. What is our calling and our purpose? People struggle with this. 
And they struggle partly because there's a spirit of fear that was being addressed at the very beginning of this reading. And uh, as I was talking with my wife on the way home the other day, we were talking about, you know, Satan controls a lot of people with a fear of death today. We also talked about the fact that there's a fear of living today. That's why you have so many people who committing suicides and, and just can't handle it. There's a fear of living, which is a sad thing, because we're to have life in Christ Jesus and life more abundantly. And we're not to have this spirit of fear, he says, but of what? He has given us the power and love and of a sound mind. How do you have a sound mind? We've got a lot of people that aren't really stable in mind out there today in society. Why is that? How do you have a sound mind? What do you think of it? Sister Shrunk? Anchored in truth for one, absolutely. Without truth, you're wishing you're all over the place. You don't know where to go, what to turn to, right? You go with the winds of change, okay? So you must know the truth, right? We talked about knowledge the other day, all right? So having a sound mind, having the qualities of qualifications, I should say, of the work to go with that. You must have faith in Christ, and you must have hope in Christ, you must have a love for all men, right? If you have love and you have faith and you have hope, Brother Arthur Oakman calls these the trinity of grace. That's the reference he used, the trinity of grace. And they're all part of the qualifications of the work. Where do I get that? Okay. If you have this book, I highly recommend it. It's called The Call of Christ. In the Age of Dilemma. Maybe some of you have already read this or have access to this. The Call of Christ in the Age of Dilemma. It is the apostolic letter in 1964 to the church. It was given to the apostolic quorum as a message to the church. And they chose Brother Oakman to be the writer on behalf of the quorum of twelve of not only putting the message that the Lord had given the Apostolic Quorum collectively, but also then Brother Oakland was to break down and give specific references of things as it related to that message in 1964. This was so powerful that this was to be used in all reunions and meetings and gatherings of the church that year in 1964. It was, that was the intent anyway, right? And he calls the qualifications we find in section four, the Trinity of Grace. It's at the very last, it's the sixth chapter or section of, of this writing. And he calls it the Trinity of Grace. And I wanted to share just a couple of things. And of course, we know the scripture out of Corinthians and it's read at weddings a lot, right? Uh, now abideth faith, hope, and charity, but the greatest of these is charity, right? The pure love of, of Christ. So he talks about these three, and I'm, I'm not going to read this whole thing. I just want to pull out a couple of things that Brother Oakman says about the importance of these qualities of, of, of this. Uh, it says, uh, we're to contend earnestly for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. And he says, we're not talking about a general faith here. You can have faith in a lot of things. He says, the faith, and he emphasized that, the faith that was delivered unto the saints which is to make a distinction between all other attitudes of faith. And he says, the faith comprehends a set of intellectual and spiritual propositions based on the analysis of nature, creation, prophecy, and scripture. Now, what's interesting about this is 
the faith that was delivered to the saints is part of what Sister Shrunk was talking about, that we, our minds are sound in the truth of the faith that was once delivered unto them. And that faith is so important in, right, it says we can't, without faith it is impossible to please God. Without faith, as a quality for qualification, we will not be able to participate in the great marvelous work. It, it will be impossible. Faith, we know, is the assurance of things that are hoped for and the evidence of things that are not seen, right? So it's not visibly tangible. It's not something that we can see with the senses, but it is an assurance we have, as he calls it, a, 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 a spiritual proposition that's been given to us that we comprehend of something that is spiritual in nature that we have the assurance by the spirit that it is true and that it will happen. And we act in that direction that God has given. That's the faith delivered to the saints. So part of the qualifications are faith and hope and charity. And he goes on to say in this that he says faith and hope are counterparts. These two work so closely together. Without hope that things will happen, you will not be able to exercise faith in the things that you know. And he makes this reference, their counterparts, faith and hope. And he says, those are the things that give men sound minds, right? The divine mind is put into man through faith and hope, okay? Charity is the fruitage that brings understanding. Now, that was something that was a revealment to me, right? Faith and hope deals with the sound mind that Timothy's talking about here, but charity deals with the fruitage that comes out of that, of the love and bears witness and understanding of the blessings far beyond just knowledge. How many of you have a testimony because of the power of God's love in your life that's happened at some point, whatever way it happened, and the fruitage that comes out of this changed your life? You were never the same ever again. Most of you probably can relate to that. Okay, good. Most of you are nodding or, or raising your hand. That kind of fruitage is the fruitage that brings understanding that is the testimony that anchors our lives. And that coupled with faith and hope, which deals directly with our minds, the sound mind that we're to have in Christ Jesus, right, is what keeps us in, in that work that we're a part of. Without faith and without hope, right, then charity is not going to be produced. That pure love of Christ is not going to come forth. And uh, that's how he intertwines these, what he calls the trinity of grace together. He says, hope is things as they ought to be um, that we know should be, even though they're not the way things are. Now, how many of you are frustrated with the way things are? <laughs> all right. All of us probably are in our personal lives, in our family lives, in the church, in the world, whatever. Okay. He says, without the spark of hope, right, you will easily be overcome and you'll become discouraged and in despair. And he says, you cannot exercise faith without having hope. Hope, he says, is to look into man and look into your fellow man and see that they are not yet what they need to be, nor are we, nor are I, right? And yet we see the hope of what we can be in Christ Jesus, and that in time, all, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. That is to have hope, and that produces, right, faith. Some people say, well, I don't have a lot of faith. It is a gift, but it's a gift of God, 
And there is a way that faith can be increased, as the scriptures tell us. Because I've heard people say that, well, that's, that's not my strong, strong gift, is, is faith. So let me take you to a scripture that tells you how faith is increased. And it's God's to give, remember. But it can be increased, right, by doing things. And so let's look at the book of Romans. And specifically, looking at chapter 10 here, make sure I have that right, I think I do. Okay, I've got two scriptures here, and I want to hit them both while I'm here. All right, chapter 10, verse 16 is the one I want to hit first. So here's how faith cometh. Faith in verse 16 in chapter 10 says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So how does faith come to us? By hearing the word of God. And hearing is not just in the literal sense of only hearing by preaching, although that's a key way, right? More people, right, have been won to the gospel Right through preaching ministry, which is really a testifying of the scriptures in your life. That's what preaching ministry is, right? Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Faith is increased in that way. Okay, So you can increase your faith by hearing his voice, by hearing the word of the Lord being preached. And I'm going to use and extend this idea of hearing. Hearing meaning that as you go through the scriptures and it, you, you take this into yourself, your faith is increased, right? I also want to flip back to Romans chapter 8 because Paul talks to the Romans a lot about this hope, part of this qualification, and part of this trinity of grace. If you look at um, verse 24 of, of Romans 8, this is Paul talking to the Romans when he says, for we are saved by hope but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that that we see not, then with patience, uh, there's that word again, patience. By patience, yielding, we do wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should always pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. This hope is of a necessity among the saints. You can never lose hope. And I, I remember a testimony uh, a sister had in one of our prayer services, and she was talking about the struggle she has. And, and we have a lot of saints that come and talk about the struggles and difficulties that they have in their lives. And... I always wait to hear the end result. I, I, I always cringe when they stop with the difficulties and they never, they never go beyond what's been the problem, right? The testimony comes, right? The word testimony, right? The easy way to remember it means comes out of the test. The test brings the testimony, right? So the difficulties that we may go through, the infirmities we may have, the things that we may be struggling with, right? Um, the key that comes out of that is the testimony 
which is what did God do through your faith and hope and trust in him? What was the end result? What was the blessings that come out? Because out of the most difficult things in our lives comes the greatest testimonies, right? Usually that's the case. And <laughs> I was listening to this lady share, and she never got to the good, what God did. She just stopped. Well, here's the things, and I'm still praying, and she sat down. I was like, that was it. There's, there's more. There's more to this. There has to be more to this. And the Spirit just prompted me to stand, and I remember sharing. says, don't let Satan steal your hope and steal your joy. Because I felt like it had been robbed from this individual. Don't let Satan steal your hope or steal your joy. That's, that is yours to know that though things aren't as they ought to be right now, they will be and can be through Christ Jesus, and it will happen. You can't see it yet, right? That's what Paul tells us here. You, can, you, know, you don't have hope if you can see it. It's the things you can't see. And so this is why the saints have to have hope that they might exercise faith, that they might have the fruitage of charity as part of the great and marvelous work of the last day, right? Look at the missionaries that went out. Any, take any book you read. You can read J.J. Cornish, Edmund C. Briggs, Apostle Luff. You go down through the list of anyone. And they'll go through there and they talk about the fact they come across things not as they should be, right? Difficulties, maybe people who didn't believe or maybe saints that had fallen away and gotten cold in their faith and they were trying to bring them back. Things not as they were, but they had the hope in Christ that through the power of his spirit and the exercise of faith, those things would be rectified, and most of the time they were. You read, I went into this particular uh, city or town, preached the gospel, preached faith, the first principle of the gospel. 18 were baptized. That night, went and preached again, talked about uh, the need for repentance, right? And they talked about all the blessings that come out because they had hope that led to exercise of faith, which produced the fruits of, of charity, of the love, pure love of Christ, and how they then uh, responded to that. And then, I love, they went and they talked about it, and then they would say, and then the next night we held a prayer and testimony service. That was so important, right? Why? So everyone could hear the testimony. Everyone could be a, a participant and share in the hope and faith in Christ and the marvelous gospel that had come forth among the children of men. Back and forth. Preached taught a class, had prayer and testimony service. And many were converted, right? If they were truly searching. So Brother Oakman talks a lot about this, okay? He goes on, he also says, the peculiar quality of faith, however, is that it believes in, in man. It refuses to acknowledge that man's worst is his final. Do you look out at your fellow man and do you see the good or the bad? It's always that glass half empty or half full. Which, which, which way do you look at it? Do you see what they can be through Christ? Or do you view them as they are now in, in the, whatever situation that they find themselves in? And same thing about ourselves. How do we get discouraged and depressed? How does Satan get us de deceived into being discouraged about things? Because we view us as we are now, not as what we can be in Christ. Right? This is the essence of faith has to center in hope. Faith has to be centered in hope. Man will eventually, and we know this from Scripture, man will eventually respond to the love of God as expressed by his son on the cross. That will happen. 
because we're told every knee will eventually bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. That will happen. Zion will be. And even though we can't see it at this point, we just see things as they are currently, does not mean that they will not be. And this is why to be qualified for the work, you have to have a strong hope, which leads to greater faith, which leads to a charity and a love for all man, right? All mankind. And that's what drove many of the early uh, ministers of the church forward in, in the face of all kinds of opposition because they had this great qualities of qualifying for the work. Now, guess what? We're all called if you have a desire. I'm assuming because you're here this week that you have a desire or you wouldn't be here. I would presume you have a certain amount of hope or you would not be here, right? The question is then turning that into a greater exercise of our faith. And faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Okay? Uh, <laughs> last thing I'm going to share about Brother Oakman's statements here, and you can read the whole, I, I highly recommend this for you if, you if you like that. But he said, Jesus hated sin, but he loved the sinner. He loved the sinner because the sinner was worth loving. Not necessarily because man was lovable, I think we can agree with that statement, but rather that Christ himself was love, right? We love him because he first loved us, it says. And this is the essence of the hope and the faith that we have to have as Latter-day Saints, right? This in, this in uh, ex uh, you can't ex uh, extinguish it, this hope, this joy, this hope of faith in Christ, of what the Latter-day work is about, that eventually all will be given opportunity to hear the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ and experience the power of the ordinances through authoritative priesthood and the testimony of the Book of Mormon and the gathering of Latter-day Israel and all these things that encapsulates the Latter-day work, which is unique to the Latter-day work, right? So, we are not an accident looking for somewhere to happen, <laughs> okay? We're not an accident. You've been put here for a purpose. You're here on earth for a specific reason. Now, we may not know what that reason or purpose always is. And we're told to seek the Lord out. But it's not according to our works, but his purpose and his grace, okay? Um, hmm. Let me take you to... All are called, it says, but... Few are chosen. Let's look at a couple scriptures that mention that and what they mention related to it. Let's turn to Matthew, the 22nd chapter. You, you are called if you have a desire. You're called to follow the Lord Jesus and to minister with these qualities that we've had all week, right? But many are called to this because of their desires, but few are actually chosen. So Matthew, the 22nd chapter, And looking at verse 14, one simple verse, for many are called, but few chosen, wherefore all do not have on the wedding garment. So here we see that the reason why some are not chosen, even though they've been called because of their desires, is they haven't put on the wedding garment, the robes of righteousness, right? The wedding garment. Uh, we know that Christ talks about that he will come back to claim uh, his bride, 
his bride being his, his church, that he claimed with his own blood, with his own blood he bought her, right? We sing that. And in order to be the bride, right, we have to put on the wedding garment, right? We have to be prepared. And we can't be prepared if we're out having affairs with the world, okay? We're not then designating ourselves as the bride of Christ. And uh, I think as Brother Anderson, who will speak tonight, I know he's mentioned this before, that the church has in the past had a love affair with the world and hasn't been faithful. But the Lord is calling his bride to be faithful and to put on the wedding garment and that he, through his own blood and atonement, would redeem her. Okay? So here, you might be called, that's a wonderful thing to be called to the work. It is a great and marvelous work to be called to because of your desires to serve, but if you don't put on the wedding garment, the robes of righteousness, right, then you're not going to be chosen to come in. Now, that's, that's difficult, right? We wouldn't show up probably, well, I shouldn't say that. In today's world, that might actually happen. Traditionally, we wouldn't show up to a wedding in shorts and a t-shirt, right? Traditionally, anyway. Because of the sacredness of the ceremony, of what it represents, of the, the magnitude of the, uh, the sacramental nature of what marriage is, we would want to put on our best, right? And the Lord has asked us to put on the wedding garment. Only those who have the wedding garment will be allowed in, he says, right? Some, you know, we're told right now that we are to put on the whole armor of God, Right? The breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of faith, the, the sword of the spirit. We're to put on the whole armor of God is found in Ephesians. But someday, the, what the Lord is asking us to do is to eventually put on the wedding garment. And that's the beautiful robe of righteousness. After you fought the fight, the wedding garment is the beautiful robe of righteousness that the saints will have. And it says, right, that they, how they wear the robes of righteousness because... Uh, Satan is bound. He no longer has power over them. So that's why few are chosen because Satan still has power over them. And the, and the, the beautiful aspect is, I, I don't know about you, but I, I picture that in my mind, uh, a robe of righteousness. Brother Reggie, we'll get you a mic. You just mentioned about the, the marriage ceremony. It's I hadn't thought of this, but it's interesting how the world has, even for us at times, have taken away the importance of the ordinance. And going back to section 83, it talks about how important the ordinances are within his church, that it manifests the power and authority of God yeah. through his godliness. And if we are allowing that to happen within our own lives, guess the thing is is we need to be cautious yeah. because we are having an affair with the world per yeah. se yeah. in one of those ways every single marriage that that i see um, you know i think about because of what it represents right it, it represents the greater marriage of christ the bridegroom with the bride right and every time that that's diminished or minimized or changed or made uh, not sacramental in nature uh, it diminishes the meaning of what really it was to represent, which is still to come, right? Which we look forward to. So, yes, the ordinances are very, very important that we uh, we honor them as for what they are, 
right? That we honor those. There actually was a statement made in, in our branch by a, an, an elder, and he says uh, one of the things the Lord uh, spoke to him and said uh, to the branch there was to be sure that you always honor the ordinances that my spirit may be, be able to be with you, to honor them. And I think honor is a great word to say, to honor them for what they are and what they represent. I want to give you another scripture tied to this, fewer call, or many called but fewer chosen, out of section 92 of the Doctrine and Covenants. This is referenced again. So we have it in Matthew here, and it's mentioned because they don't have the wedding garment on. And section 92, it goes a little more detail. Doctrine and Covenants 92. And this is speaking specifically to priesthood, right, because those who are ordained. So this one, it goes even beyond just the membership. This is specifically talking to priesthood here, but the, the principle is the same. In verse 1D and E, it says, But behold, verily I say unto you, there are many who have been ordained among you whom I have called, but few of them are chosen. They who are not chosen have sinned a very grievous sin in that they are walking in darkness at noonday. And for this cause I gave unto you a commandment that you should call your solemn assembly. And he goes on to talk about fasting and prayer. The point is, I want to get across here, is they grieve, the grievous sin is they're walking in darkness at noonday. Now, we know that the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ is supposed to be fair as the sun, right? And it is a light that came into the world, right? To bring further light and truth and understanding. Here they have the light right before them. It's noonday, the brightest the sun is, right, right overhead. And yet they choose still to walk in darkness. They still are substituting other things for the light which I have given. They're walking in darkness at noonday. The light has come forth, it's shining bright, but they choose to walk still in darkness in the middle of the day. Now, that's, a, that's a, something we have to take into consideration, right? That we find ourselves, you know, that we follow the light of, of the revelation of Jesus Christ. That he constantly reveals us to us how we need to make changes in life so we don't walk in darkness while having the light of the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ in our hands. And that's why it was such a grievous sin. I've given you this light and you choose still to walk in the darkness, okay? So these two scriptures really uh, are interesting. Now, there is a, um, Joseph Smith actually made comments about this particular scripture. It was found in a letter that, uh, that he had written uh, when they had been talking about some of the things the Lord had spoken to the church. And he actually addressed this specific scripture in one of his letters. And so I'm going to share uh, that with you because he goes into a lot even more detail as to what this walking in darkness at noonday is. So he says, uh, he says, yes, behold, there are many called and few are chosen. And why aren't they chosen? Because their hearts are set upon much of the things of the world. And that gets to what Rev Reggie was saying back there, you know, doing the things the way the world does them. Their hearts are set so much upon the things of the world. They aspire to the honors of men. They do not learn this one lesson, that the rights of the priesthood are inseparably connected with the powers of heaven. And that the powers of heaven cannot be controlled or handled upon the principle, unless upon the principles of righteousness. So basically, you have no priesthood without the power of heaven, right? The authority of that. And they can only be handled or have among men uh, with the principles of righteousness. That they may be conferred upon us, it is true. But when we undertake to 
cover our sins, gratify our pride. We talked about pride the other day, right? Have vain ambitions, exercise control or dominion or compulsion upon the souls of the children of men in any degree of unrighteousness. Behold, the heavens withdraw themselves and the spirit of the Lord is grieved. And when it is withdrawn, all men to that priesthood and to the authority of that man. Behold, he is aware he is left to unto himself to kick against the pricks, to persecute the saints, and to fight against God. We have learned by sad experience, this is Joseph speaking, that it is the nature and disposition of almost all men, as soon as they get a little authority, that they suppose that they will immediately begin to exercise unrighteous dominion. Hence, many are called, but few are actually chosen. No power or influence can or ought to be maintained by virtue of priesthood, only by persuasion, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, and love unfeigned. Does that sound familiar? I think we just saw all those attributes in the section four. Kindness with pure knowledge, and that's just what Sister Trump was saying, having a, a sure knowledge, which shall greatly enlarge the soul without any hypocrisy and without any guile, Reproving betimes with sharpness and then moved upon by the Holy Ghost when showing forth afterwards an increased love for him whom thou hast hast to reprove, lest he esteem thee as an enemy. So Joseph gives a lot of description here of what the Lord was displeased of and why it was so important that they were careful about how they handled the powers of heaven in their priesthood and that many are called, but only few are chosen. So that really is interesting to me. Now, they're talking about priesthood specifically here, but the principle of how you handle that which is sacred that you've been given as members of Christ's church is equally important, right? How you handle your testimony of this latter-day work is extremely important. Are you walking in darkness at noonday? Right? Are you turning to the light? I had a, had a thing that came to me in our branch here about a year ago. And the message of the Lord, it was very short, uh, that he wanted me to share was <clears throat> to remind the people that they must always turn to the sun. Okay? S-O-N. They must turn to the sun. And it was repeated three times. Tell them to turn to the sun. That without the light of Christ, they'll walk in darkness at noonday. They must turn to the sun. And so uh, that's really what Joseph is saying here in this particular uh, letter about this particular scripture as it relates to many called few chosen so you're called to the work that's great now are you going to act in faith not to walk in darkness but to walk in the light as he is in the light right and not to abuse if you're priesthood to abuse that or if you're a member to abuse your authority right but that even when you reprove that you turn immediately in the spirit and Show great love and charity and compassion, which is exactly what Brother Oakland was saying, right? Men aren't what they ought to be, neither are we. But can you see them through the eyes of Christ to see what they can be and what they will be through Christ Jesus? I will have to look up where I got that. I don't have it written down, unfortunately, but I will get it to you. It's from Liberty Jail. I just can't remember where I got that particularly out of, but it's the letter from Liberty Jail, yeah. In 1839, I believe, 1839. So, but I'll have to see. I, I can't remember where I got the actual, but that's where it's from. Um, so we're to have 
uh, our eyes single to his glory is part of this. And this is, this is the key aspect, right? As long as we're focused upon him, right, we're told that our bodies will be filled with light. And that goes to this not walking in darkness. And so the scriptural reference for that is back on section 85, um, verse 18. To not walk in darkness at noonday, to be not only called but also be chosen because of faithfulness and because of devotion and commitment and diligence, right? We talked about diligence yesterday. Verse 18 of chapter 85, and if your eye be single to my glory, which is exactly what section 4 says, your eye has to be single to his glory, here's the promise. Your whole bodies will be filled with light, and there will be no darkness in you. And that body which is filled with light comprehendeth all things. Therefore, there's the therefore, because of this, sanctify yourselves that your minds become single to God. And the days will come that he, you shall see him, for he will unveil his face unto you. And it shall be in his own time, in his own way, and according to his own will. This is the, this is the purpose of God, to reveal himself to man in ways that hasn't happened before, to bring us into his presence. And by the way, it's coming into his presence, not him coming into ours. Okay? <laughs> we are in his creation, and he wants to bring us totally into his presence. I don't know about you, but to have no darkness in you, can you imagine what that would be like? You know, darkness, I, I think about this all the time. So in our church, we have lights, and I, I know most of you do, and you'll have lights that come on, and they'll shine in a light, and all of a sudden, you'll see a shade of darkness in one direction because something's blocking, right? Still light. There's still light there, but it's a little bit darker in that one area because something's kind of blocking it, but a light from a different direction kind of comes in and over, you know. And then there's certain sections of the church that are blocked off from a lot of light. There's still light there, you can still see, but it is even darker, right? Shades of darkness. And what is darkness? The absence of light. So if we're walking in darkness in the day, it's because we're, we're not looking to the light. We're not in the light. We're not walking in the light. And uh, I've, I've been to, to caves in southern Missouri, and boy, if you shut off the lights in a cave down there, which they do, they take you down there. It's really cool, right? Some of you have probably been there. And they shut off the light, and you can't see the hand in front of your face. I mean, you know it's there, but you can't see it, right? That's, that's blindness that comes to us spiritually, right? Things are right before us, but we just can't see it because we're walking in darkness. And then they light a candle. Or light one little teeny tiny light in the cave, right? It's amazing what one little teeny tiny light, how much you can actually see the cave walls, right? Just through that one little source of light. And then they turn on all the lights again and, and it's lit up. And I thought about that as it relates to the scripture, right? If your eye be single my glory, your whole body shall be filled. Not just have partial light, it'll be filled with light. And there'll be no darkness in you at all. That is what the saints are called to be, children of the light, right? And I love this aspect of the work because God is calling us to something greater than anything the world has to offer, right? There's nothing like it before. That's why it's the marvelous work, wonder, to come into his presence, to be in, in Zion with him. If we are faithful, if we are doing these things that we're qualified for in the work here. So just some things to think about there. Um, we're told specifically, I 
picture there, to, to love. Uh, let's look at Psalm 18.1. I want a couple of scriptures about love. Not the way the world loves. That's not what we're talking about. Not worldly love. We're talking about godly love, right? So a couple of scriptures give us a better idea of, of this kind. <clears throat> I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. Real simple. I will love thee. Now, anytime the word I will is used, that's literally meaning you're exercising your will. This is not here an emotional thing that we're talking about. I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. Why is the psalmist here determined that I will love thee, O Lord, because of his strength, because of the things he's done for him, right? It is a, a decision of the will that we love him, right? I will love, I think we sing a song like that. I will love thee, O God, my father, right? I will love. I will it. I, do, I want that, okay? It's not just something that happens to us. Uh, I hear, you know, a lot of teenagers use the phrase today, worldly phrase, which is not really scriptural in nature. I just fell in love, okay? <laughs> right? I fell in love. But the kind of love that God's talking about is a love that is born out of an intelligent decision to have complete awe and adoration and devotion to, Right? And it's not just an emotion. I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. And then if you read down through there, it gives all the reasons that the psalmist loves the Lord. He is my rock. He is my fortress. He is my deliverer. He is my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler, my shield. He goes on to describe all the reasons he wills to love the Lord. It is our will that's important here, right? I will love thee, O Lord. And in 1 John, if we want to turn to that, book of John, John, John uses the word love uh, in <laughs> more than any other person in the scriptures because he addresses this in many ways. In 1 John, chapter 4, and I'm looking at uh, verses 7 and 8. This is a corporate effort of, of love here. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In math class, and chemistry too, Right? We used to have equations, right? I'm taking you back a few years. Some of you not so far, right? Some of you are like, oh, equations. I don't like equations. Equations, right? And you always would have the equal sign in the middle. This equals this, right? X equals three or whatever it is, right? Or you would try to balance an equation in chemistry, and you would have the one side versus the other. And in there, we always were told, right, to say in our minds that anytime you have this equals this, that that is. That means it is the same. Right? Here you have that exact thing being borne out in Scripture. God is love. There is no separation there. So anyone that who is born of God loveth. It is impossible not to because he is love. Right? Now, love is, again, I'm not talking about the worldly emotional view of love here. I'm talking about the, the complete understanding of an intelligent desire 
of adoration and awe and praise of he who because of who he is and what he is. That's why in lectures of faith it talks about you must know the attributes of God to exercise faith and love. Because without understanding why God is love, why he is love, why, why you can exercise faith in him, you won't be able to do that. And too often we don't think about that. We don't think about why, why, do, why do we love God? Is it just a, a fuzzy feeling? Or is it really, is there an intelligent uh, particular reasons, and I hope you've gone through that, to know why you love God because he first loved you, right? Which is the, the best reason. Mike? You must be reading my news feed. Somebody <laughs> asked a question not too long ago, why do you believe in God? And my response was, I believe in love, period. God is love, period. Therefore, I believe in God. Yep. Perfect. There's, there's a syllogism right there, right? <laughs> Excellent. So, remember everyone that loveth is born of God. And remember when Jesus was asked by, they were trying to trip him up, right? The Pharisees were really focused on the law and they were trying to trip him up. And they said, uh, Master, what is the great commandment? What is the greatest of the commandments? Right? And Jesus turned to them, right? Not being swayed by them. And he says, the first and great commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, might, mind, and strength. That's the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And upon these two rest what? All of the law and all of the prophets. All of it rests on that particular understanding. You cannot get those two reversed, by the way. You cannot love your fellow man ahead of loving God because that becomes problematic. Okay? And you see people who do that in the world, right? Who sometimes, and sometimes in the church too, who put man ahead of God that they love or attempt to love, but they can't love perfectly as God loves them because they put their fellow man ahead of God. First commandment is love the Lord thy God. And the second is the appendage, like unto it. Right, that stems out of it, okay, and that's important that we don't don't flip flop those two. Uh, we uh, we got to be careful with that. You can love mankind and your fellow man more perfectly if you have the love of God, because you will always do the things that the Spirit tells you that is best for them. How often do you have? We call it humanity, and you know we have our hum, human tendencies, right, where we try to do things for people, and sometimes we make the problems and situations a lot worse. Society is kind of filled with these kinds of programs, right? We're trying to love our fellow man without the love of God. It doesn't work, right? It doesn't work. We can have compassion, but to have the love of God allows you to love your, your fellow man more perfectly. You love your children more perfectly. You love your wife more perfectly, right? And, or your husband or whoever. So, um, So this is why all these are listed, right? You must have... As qualifying for the work, you must have faith, hope, charity, and love with an eye single to the glory of God. Then you're qualified to do the work. Okay? See why all those are important and they all come together? They all are part of how we can be a part of this work in the last days. Uh, we probably need to take a break. Uh, Wilson's telling me here. Yeah, it's about that time. So we'll take a short break here, about five, seven minutes or so stretch, bathroom, whatever, and we'll come back here and, and finish up today. <laughs> 